Welcome to the 309th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete, for real, living in Southwest Florida. Thanks for listening. It is hot as Hades down here. We finally got a rain. I feel like I live where the seas parted. Um, we've we've had a big lack of rain in the month of June, so we finally got a big one tonight. And my garden certainly has suffered and, for the most part, dried up. There's barely anything left, but it's mango season. The topic of this podcast is actually about cherry picking, but I diverge. I've been mango picking, and we have some gracious neighbors that don't like mangoes, so we get to pick their mangoes, and we have some of our own that are becoming ripe, so it's very, very exciting here in southwest Florida. So we have mango for breakfast, and we freeze them and have some mango banana frozen desserts at night, so everything is really, really good. Herbs are growing in the garden, some peppers, uh, tomatoes are still hanging on, but, you know, everything else is just really, really hot. Training's going good. Um, Starting to ramp it up. It's going to, you know, call it to start gun for training for September San Antonio 50K. So that's coming up, and I'm going to work my way over. The pool's starting to open, so I'm going to get to the pool for our swim run in November. So life is good. Strength training have been... uh, Committed to that to get stronger since I'm a flatland trainer and I'm going to have to run some hills here in the fall. Um, So we're going to rely on some strength training to try to build up for that and and be a survivor. Really glad about that. I was selected for the Red Rabbit team. Uh, I'll make a link to the podcast. I like running in rabbit gear. Uh, They make uh, some great running short and running tops that I like uh, to wear and uh, sports bras. So that's my gear of one of my uh, go-to gears. So, uh, and, and we'll also make a link to Grounds and Hounds Coffee because they support um, some animal shelters all over. So, and the coffee I happen to really enjoy and the people are really nice, groundsandhounds.com. If you said Sophie Says for Sophie, my German Shepherd, you get a little bit of a discount, so that's always great. Too bad they don't have anything about cats because Vinny's joining me here tonight in the podcast, but otherwise, life is good. So I want to talk about the other side. You know, I think the other side of the fence, um, a lot of us try to straddle the fence, so to speak. You know, we uh, like to keep our feet in both camps so that we can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And most of the time that doesn't work out. And some people, you know, their families uh, or they're surrounded by a lot of people that uh, don't want anything to do with being healthy or plant-based. And it can be pretty difficult. And more often than not, they have trouble mounting a good argument or at least a convincing argument. And it's very frustrating. And I've been trying to listen to some other viewpoints. Um, And, you know, it's it's not always easy listening to people that don't share the same ideas that you do and have a different opinion. But, you know, there's always a common ground, and and I kind of look for that. And and I kind of like to observe those people um, because I think that, you know, everybody has a bias, but we all have certain things that we agree on. And so we can 
get all huffy and argue about this way is the best way or it's my way or the highway. Or we can try to find some common ground and respect each other and, and move along. Um, and I think we have a lot bigger chance of either, you know, maybe bringing people over a little bit more to our side if we're a little bit more accepting and a, and a little less dogmatic sometimes. And it, it makes people at least at least open their, their minds up to a new idea sometimes. There are also people out there that just like to debunk everything they hear and kind of be the, you know, um, nobody's right and this is why and disagree with everything that's out there. And, you know, listening to some of that, I... I agree that it's probably easier being on that side. I would call it offense, where you can just take on anybody that says anything and say, here's why you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. And I, I think it's easier because nobody's absolutely right. Um, there are flaws in every study. If you read the best study out there, uh, most of them conclude, if the author is worth their weight in anything, will say that, you know, it suggests, that our study suggests that this might be true. Further research is needed because we don't know the absolute truth. We're all learning, you know, the practice of medicine. Um, we practice our, our sport. You know, we're always trying to get better, but nobody really has it figured out. And one thing I can tell for sure is if somebody really comes out and says they have it all figured out and this is the way it should be or the highway and it's this way for everybody, you pretty much can can debunk that person right away because it's you know they're going to be biased beyond belief. I'm not really sure what it means or you know uh, for somebody to you know I got you moment or I, I found you know I found a flaw in your study or I found a flaw in your thinking. What is what it ultimately means? especially in the field of healthcare, when we're, when it's really should be all about how do we make people healthier? How do we make people live longer and live better? How do we not do harm? How do we treat people as individuals with their own sets of genetics and upbringings and ethnic values and psychological traumas? We're all different. And we come to a point in our life where we're trying to get healthy, but we bring all that baggage along, and that truly does influence our outcomes. So, you know, most of the nutritional studies, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here to admit there's never been a randomized, placebo-controlled trial for 20 years with 200,000 people that ate totally plant-based and oil never crossed their lips and they lived longer than the other group. We don't know. We know that the blue zone people, they uh, lived a long time, you know, and we know certain things that they did or the observations that Dan Buettner made that they had in common, that they were mostly plant-based and they moved a lot. They didn't go to the gym. They walked and they were socially engaged. They had a sense of purpose. They drank a little bit of alcohol. Um, they, they, you know, they ate beans. They, again, they ate mostly plant-based, but they had a little bit of meat, not too much. They lived conservatively. They lived in a relatively unpolluted environment. So we know all these things tend to work for those people in that five, you know, those five countries, those five areas of the world. But 
it was also in a time where, um, you know, when those people were growing up, much different than when our children are growing up. And we know that those blue zones aren't producing many people in their hundreds anymore. Um, they're sort of drying up in those areas, you know, whether it's McDonald's and KFC and the like that have infiltrated their cars and trucks and the lack of farming or whatever. But, but uh, that iso- those isolated environments... Um, are pretty difficult to repeat right now. We also know there are people that really abuse their body and, and live a long time. And we say those people have good genes. And we, and we know people that die very young. And we say those people have really bad genes. But we don't know necessarily the life, ex- life circumstances. We do observational studies about people that eat a certain way nutritionally, more or less. Um, you know, I believe Dr. Esselstyn's study on reversing heart disease was as, as controlled as you possibly could get. Um, but he had very motivated people that, you know, they were about to die. They had nothing else to lose. And he, he you know, he stuck with them and interacted with them very closely. And they did well. So we, so we know, you know, to that extent for those people with those kind of uh, backgrounds that they would do much better if they were in that environment. And there's a lot of things that we agree on, but absolute proofs, we don't, we don't really have them. Um, and, and so it comes, comes down to what can you do and, and what, what are the things that make people live the longest and the best? And, and what, what are you willing to compromise on to achieve that? And do you want to achieve that? So I kind of like to focus on some of the common grounds of just about everybody. And, you know, then we can tease things out from from there. We know that eating greens, green leafy vegetables, there's no harm in it. It's good. It's good for everybody. Uh, Chlorophyll is good. Nitric oxide production is good. Fiber is good. Even the amount is fine. Even the ketogenic diet, uh, it's hard to get. You can get the most greens for your 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrate allowance. So it's, it's the biggest bang for your buck. There's a lot of anti-cancer properties in greens, especially cruciferous vegetable greens, broccoli, cauliflower, um, broccolini, the like. So we all agree on that. Popeye ate spinach. It's good. We can get calcium from spinach and greens. We can get magnesium, mag, uh, manganese. Chances are, we all agree, that it's really hard to be mineral deficient. Minerals that are in everything. Uh, they're in the ground. So any plant, animal that's been around is going to have most of these minerals in it. So it's, it's probably very hard to become mineral deficient. We know that blue, most people like blueberries. Blueberries are low glycemic. They're rich in polyphenols in that, from that purple color. They have fiber. They most likely help with glycemic control. They don't add a lot of sugar. So again, even in the ketogenic diet, they'll tolerate it. That would be the fruit of choice if you were to have some fruit. Um, so blueberries are, are, are really good. We know they're good for your brain health. We know that they have been associated with uh, a decrease in multiple sclerosis, although no, but not everybody will agree with that, but nobody will really throw blueberries under the bus. Fiber. I think everybody agrees that fiber is good. 
societies that eat high-fiber diets tend to do better than societies that don't eat high-fiber. Even in people that don't eat vegetables, they have to take Metamucil or some sort of fiber substance in order to go. So fiber is good. We're learning more about the gut microbiome, and we know that fiber tends to feed good gut bacteria that are associated with health. So fiber, fiber is good, good all around. It helps keep you full. So it's a, it's a good thing to have. It doesn't have any calories. doesn't have any fat. So it, it, it really um, it covers everything. Only plants have fiber. We all agree that only plants have fiber. Animals don't have any fiber. Almost all camps agree that processed food is bad. Now, how we define process gets a little bit gray. But processed food, such as fast food, we pretty much say that that's probably not as good as blueberries and greens. Um, some people might argue that you can get away with some. Certainly, you know, we're in the Olympic year, and McDonald's is going to be a big sponsor, as well as Pepsi-Cola. So there'll be uh, some big ads on on sodas and fast food, and certainly athletes that are consuming a lot of calories can get away with eating those foods. It may not make them optimally healthy. They might be more at risk for infections, but nobody's ever done a randomized placebo-controlled trial, so we can only infer that eating processed foods is not going to help make them ultimately healthy, but in the short term probably gives them enough energy to do what they need to do. We all agree that being lean is good. Uh, recent studies come out that I talked about last week that even if you're overweight and um, you're otherwise healthy by numbers, blood pressure, glucose, cholesterol, so forth, you, you still have an increased risk of, of heart failure and stroke. So, And we know that being overweight is harder on the joints and the bones than being lean. So for the most part, having an increased fat mass is not optimal in any camp. That being said, fat shaming is not a good thing, but I believe we have to be realistic that being overweight is not healthy in, 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 any, in any means, so that we need to help people um, to get to their lean body mass as quick and as safe as possible. Exercise is excellent. I think we all believe in that. Uh, you could be Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, or you never would be Arnold Schwarzenegger if we just fed you meat and protein and even growth hormone and just sat you in a chair. You have to do some strength training. We know that muscle mass is good. Um, having muscle mass and not losing it as we age is associated with health and longevity. Uh, increased mitochondria in those muscles is associated with health and longevity. I think most people believe in that. Um, how much muscle we have is, is need is debatable. We don't all need to look like a bodybuilder, but we need to have a significant amount for our size of muscle mass, uh, at least to achieve neuromuscular stability. And to be able to do things, depending on you know what we want to do. And again, we can, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But fat mass doesn't do us much in the way of good. Um, I guess people that are extremely long-distance swimmers like a little bit more fat mass because it's insulating. Uh, if you live in a very northern, cold environment most of the time, a little bit more fat mass might lead to having a better 
survival than being skinny, but certainly not an optimal survival as, you know, you compare those people at a less harsh environment. I think that, you know, most people would agree that when we start arguing about, well, Eskimos do this and, you know, Eskimos live a hard life. So their longevity has never been um, to that of uh, people that live in a more temperate climate. So, and then when it comes to exercise, um, I think the debate is also about, you know, endurance versus strength versus a little bit of both versus do you have to train or could you play and get enough exercise or can your activities of daily living provide you with enough diverse range of motion to be okay? And I think that debate is still um, certainly unresolved. If you look at the blue zones, again, they walked up and down hills. They tended to their sheep. Um, they mostly, they gardened. They, they had, you know, they had farm animals. And so, you know, they lifted and pulled and tugged and, on machinery. And certainly that was a, a good form of strength training as well as mobility training as well as endurance training. But if you are a desk jockey, um, or, you know, you, you're inside most of the time, then um, some other form of exercise, such as weightlifting, is probably going to be, or training, you know, on a treadmill or different cardio device is probably going to be needed. And then there's play, you know, people that go out and just play their sport. Uh, my dad was an excellent golfer. He never practiced. He just played golf. Could he have been a better golfer if he practiced? Perhaps, but he liked to play golf, and he had enough time to play a couple rounds of golf a week. He didn't have enough time to practice and play a couple rounds of golf a week. When he got older and retired, he would you know, hit some balls now and then, but for the most part, he played instead of trained. And his work provided a, a, a strength training of sorts, and a mobility training, and that was and that was the way that uh, his exercise was. So I, I think that you know it's it's perfectly okay to take your environment and your likes. Certainly, if you hate going to the gym, and therefore you never go to the gym, it's not going to do much for your strength uh, and muscle capacity. On the other hand, if you love to garden and you can use that to you know carry a little heavier load, lift heavy when you can lift often, carry things when you can, and use incorporate your daily activity into your strength training and your cardio, then that's probably a perfectly good uh, alternative as well. I hear people say, I'm, I'm too lazy. And I wish they'd think about that segment. Um, I think most of those people aren't. It's just, they're not lazy. It's uncomfortable to start the activity or they're not sure which activity they should start or what they should do. But I think you should, um, I think people um, can use it as an opportunity. So if you are an inside person and you need, you know, an opportunity to learn something new and to train your body is, is always a good way to look about strength training or exercise. Something that puts you in your comfort zone is also good for your mind. So uh, it's a win-win situation. I think it's very important for people that are retired to maintain movement. We see the biggest decline in people when they retire, and I think everybody agrees on that as well, that when people become sedentary, 
Um, no matter what age, but certainly um, the percentage of muscle loss in a sedentary older individual is greater than a sedentary younger individual, and it can be quite dramatic and actually increase mortality significantly. So I think that that um, you know is something we we all agree agree on that as we get older we need to focus on on moving. So you know again in our medical practice we don't have a protocol one size fits all. We we like to get to know people as individuals and understand what their goals are and what their likes are. We also like them to train for something, even if it's training to get older. We also like to talk to people about, you know, uh, I practice medicine traditionally for a lot of years, and, and we could get people to the average life expectancy with a lot of medic- medications and procedures, but we rarely took people off of their, their medication. And you know, your genes might get you to be 80, 90, 100 years of age, but what's the quality of life for those last few years? And, and we'd like to talk about living optimally until you don't and living independently, if possible, if you don't. The average survival in the United States for females is 81 and that of males is 76. The European Union, 78 and 83. And the world, 70 for males and 75 for females. Now, let's make this a little bit scary. If you're 40 years of age, according to the Social Security actuarial tables, you have 38.56 years left of life if you're a man and 42.47 years of life if you're a woman. If you're 50 years of age as a man, you have 29.67 years left, or on average for a woman, 33.23. At 60... That goes down to 21.58 for males and 24 more years, 24.56 for females. So at age 60, you have a daily risk now of death of 1%. At 70, males have a 14.3% risk. I'm sorry, at 70, people have 14, males have 14.39 years left. Females, on average, 16.54. Their daily risk is 2.2%. At 80, there's a 5.8% daily risk of dying. Just as a side note, if you put that in perspective, your risk of COVID and a death from COVID is much less than just activities of daily living and everything else that could get you at that age. So the question is, how do you want to spend the last 20 years that you have to live? How do, you, how do you want to be? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to spend them in a doctor's office? Do you want to accumulate medications, procedures? Because there is a choice. And I got to tell you, I spent a lot of years. There, there will be a lot of medications if you start to compare with your friends what they have in their medic, medical medicines cabinet. So what dietary factors can help you or hurt you? And how does those dietary factors or exercise factor help you to get to what you want to do? So in in other words, how do you keep your body mass lean, your muscle and your bone density good, your stability? Time is of the essence. Waiting to make some of these implications is not a favorable decision at this point. When I look at training for an event, such as a marathon or an ultra, 
I typically start looking at a four-month training window. Some people, if it's their first event, look at a six-month to a year training event. And it becomes important, and when people are actually doing that and they follow a training schedule, they're looking at, you know, what do I have to do this week? What, do I, what workouts do I have to do? And they really don't want to miss a workout because ultimately the goal of completing that event might be inhibited or their performance might not be as great if they mess up their training schedule for that four months. So if we change that to if you're training for the rest of your life or you're trying to train to beat the odds, I have a patient that, you know, he's bent on living to be 95 years old like his uncle did. But he's really not doing anything to help himself. He eats what he wants. He, you know, he snacks. He doesn't take his medicines right. Um, he gets into salt, you know. And it's like you got to help me here a little bit. If you, if just wanting to get there is might not be um, the easiest way to get there, and the healthiest way to perhaps get there. And ultimately, he had an event, and he said, you know, if I can't live well until 95, then I don't want to. But we often don't get that choice to go quickly. Again, medical procedures in the United States being what they are, we can keep people alive for a long period of time in a very poor functioning state. So it's time to train for at least, if not the marathon or an event or a trip or a travel or a hike, at least train for the age that you'd like to get, at least your optimal average age at this point. And unfortunately, it's not really, the dial has not really moved that much. Um, and, you know, I, I, I didn't find the statistic on how many people are living to that age. Are they as healthy as they were 10 years when they're living to that age? I would guess not, because we do so many more procedures than we did. So if the goal were to live to be mid-80s on no medications and living independently, how you have to train. And if you're 40 now, that's 38 more years of life that, you know, you, you have to be training for. So it's something to think of. And then when you put it in perspective of different people's view and argument of how you should live and how you should eat, maybe back off and look at where you are. I certainly believe wholeheartedly that eating a whole food, plant-based diet without processed oils, in general, people will live health, more healthy, be it easier to maintain a lean body mass, easier to be active. Um, but that's not where everybody is. That, that's not where everybody, everybody is, and that's not something that a lot of people can do. But I also believe there's not one soul that can eat anything they want and control that processed food, chemically enticing, you know, it's made to want you to eat. You can't have your foot in that other camp. Nobody, nobody thinks that. There's no nutritionist on the planet that thinks that people can eat the food, the majority of food that's out there, that's processed, that's enticing, that's fast, that's high salt, that's prepared. And they're going to make it healthy. So you have to choose. And I think you choose where you are. And if your family is nowhere near that level, 
then you can have some hard nose of what you will or won't do for yourself. And maybe there's a compromise down the road, knowing full well, and maybe have the discussion. You know, we're going to compromise on this, knowing full well that this is our own health experiment. And, you know, if there's, if you want to take medications, then fine. But I don't want to take medications, and this is my experiment on trying to not take medications. Um, but you get to choose. That's the big, that's the big thing. You get to choose. And what's absolutely true and absolutely false, not sure. I think we can only try to be the best version of ourselves that we possibly can be and train the best that we can for our older years. And I also think that a positive mental attitude is, is key. If you haven't listened to the podcast with Nanette in the past, um, she's uh, an 80-plus-year-old lady that is getting ready to train for her second marathon, then you need to go listen to that podcast because she is a, an inspiration, a positive. Even the, the, the podcast with Hutch is very positive. Um, because I, I think that their positive mental attitude is a big, a big role in, in their ability to achieve great things. But I think you have to keep it positive. I think that when, you know, people, if, if people start telling you to do certain things and in a negative way uh, about, you know, uh, debunking something else, I think you have to be a little bit, um, a, bit, a little bit leery. And I think you need to enjoy the process. If you're miserable um, a certain way, then you need to change it. I, I, I think that you need to, again, do what you can do and work from that to try to be the best version of yourself, but not make yourself miserable at the same time. We have people very much worried about they're going to be deficient in something when the majority of the people, especially in the United States, have an overabundance. We're dealing with metabolic excess as a cause of most of our lifestyle diseases, not nutritional deficiencies. And again, if you look back at the blue zones, those people lived conservatively and maybe somewhat deficient. If we look at Holocaust or survivals, survivors or people that were in prison camps, they were deficient. If you look at people that caloric restrict or even animal studies that calorically restrict, they, um, they were somewhat deficient. They obviously were deficient. But their survival was a little bit better. So I, I, I think that once you realize that and take the fear out of not having enough of, but being very comfortable and having just a little bit less of, um, ultimately will be in your favor. So I guess in closing, you know, when someone tries to debunk your method of training or your plant-based nutrition eating, I would say, let's turn it around to what we have in common, what we all agree on. What about greens? What about blueberries? What about being lean? What about exercise? What about fiber? So we can all agree on those things. And if we're all doing those things to the best of our ability, then there's a good chance we're all going to do pretty well. If you're a tad bit competitive or you have an idol out there or a mentor out there that you'd like to do as well, then you set the goal a little higher. And you push a little harder. 
and that's what you, and you can achieve a little bit more. So draw from people that motivate you. And don't worry about the people that are trying to debunk you. So what are you waiting for? Go out there and train for the rest of your life. If you'd like to have us help you coach, or if you'd like to have us help coach you for your goals, no matter what they are, if it's to live to be the average age or to be a centenarian or to do a marathon when you're 90, we love to help. We'd love to help prepare you for your trip or your goal. And so head on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. We have uh, several different plans. We have a, um, access to our website only where we have lots of nutritional information and webinars. Uh, the three conferences, the Zoom conferences that Addie and I have done are there as well as other, um, our, our Zoom nutrition classes are all up there as well as exercise videos and recipes. You can get access to all of those, plus a monthly uh, call from our uh, registered dietitian nutritionist, Addie Delaney Meinrich. You can do a level two membership where I will give you a call once a month as well as Addie and have access to all our online um, classes and information. Or you can become a full member and have access to us anytime that you want, 24-7. We provide you with the village to be able to make the decision in times where, you know, you feel like you're kind of alone. So go on over and check it out. Uh, We certainly like to hear from you. If you have any questions about the practice or anything else, feel free to call me or or, I'm sorry, email me at jamie at drdelaney.com, J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. Certainly our full members can call me anytime they want. Um, And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening.